for every 100 extremely low-income renter households, there are only 37 homes that are affordable and available to them. Welcome to Buzz House, a Bakertilly podcast where you can find all the buzz around multifamily housing. I'm Don Bernards, the partner in charge of Bakertilly's multifamily housing practice. And I'm Garrett Gibson, a partner at Baker Tilly, also specializing in consulting on multifamily housing transactions across the country. Each week, we'll bring you a guest or a topic in the multifamily housing industry that will help you win now and anticipate tomorrow. Let's get started. Our guest today on the Buzz House is Dan Threet, a research analyst with the National Low Income Housing Coalition, an organization many of our listeners are familiar with. NLIHC is dedicated solely to achieving socially just public policy that ensures people with the lowest incomes in the United States have affordable and decent homes. Dan has a PhD in philosophy from Georgetown University and his research centered on political philosophy, distributive justice, and the demands of social equality. Today, we're very excited to have Dan. He joins us to discuss NLIHC's study entitled The Gap, A Shortage of Affordable Homes and we'll focus on the report dated March, 2021. I know Eric and I have quoted him. Many of our colleagues have, have well quoted the report, giving Dan a lot of credit <laughs> and his team. I mean, it's a whole team, I think, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit of this report and, and various funding applications just showing the demand for and the need for affordable housing. Very excited to dig into some of this information and trends with Dan. As we have a lot to get into with the report, I'm gonna turn it over to Garrick to start our discussion, Garrick. Thanks for that intro, Don. And Dan, thanks for being on Buzz House. Uh, why don't you start out by letting our listeners know about your role with NLIHC, and then would you be able to jump into how you conduct the specific research around this gap report? Certainly. First, uh, let me say how much I appreciate the invitation. It's, it's great to be here. The research team at the National Low Income Housing Coalition, uh, and it is a big team of which I'm a small part, produces regular analysis of affordable housing needs that help inform the coalition's policy and advocacy work on a range of topics. So just for example, in the last year and a half, we've published reports on the rollout of emergency rental assistance during COVID, the threats posed by natural hazards to the affordable housing stock, the racial and wealth disparities and who benefits from the mortgage interest deduction, among other topics. We have two annual reports that you might have seen or about which you might have seen discussion, Out of Reach and The Gap. Out of Reach focuses on the relationship between wages and rents, and The Gap makes a pretty straightforward argument for understanding the housing affordability problems in this country as being most severe for the lowest income renter households. For The Gap, each year, we analyze data from the one-year American Community Survey. For any listeners who aren't acquainted with the ACS, that's a mandatory rolling survey conducted by the Census Bureau, which provides data on how much people earn, what they pay in rent, and a wealth of other details that help us see what's happening nationwide between decennial censuses. And from that survey, we can get a sense of who is housing cost burdened or spending more than 30% of their income on housing, who is severely cost burdened, who spends more than half of their income on housing. We can also get a sense of what the housing market looks like for the lowest income renters. 
And here I'm principally talking about those who the federal government classifies as extremely low income. That would be with incomes at or below the federal poverty guideline or 30% of area median income. There are about 10.8 million extremely low income renter households in this country. That's about a fourth of all renters. An extremely low income family of four at the poverty guideline in 2021 has an income of about 26,500 a year. The GAP report helps quantify how many homes are affordable to those renters and how many of those are available to them in practice. Dan, thanks for that intro. Some big takeaways in the report seem to be simply the large shortage of housing at the very low income level. Would you be able to touch on some of these numbers? And also when we were recently discussing, you hit on how the gap in housing is really driven by the bottom up. Would you be able to discuss what this concept is? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, so one of the key findings in the report from March is that for every 100 extremely low income renter households, there are only 37 homes that are affordable and available to them. At higher income levels, this problem is less severe. When looking at all households at or below 50% of AMI, there are 60 affordable and available homes for every 100 renter households. At 80% of AMI, it's 94 for every 100. And 102 for every 100 renter households at or below median income. There are greater shortages for middle-income renters, uh, particularly in high-cost metros and some West Coast states, but the problem for extremely low-income renters is pervasive nationwide. Because the result um, is not of shortages in particular local markets, but rather part of a, a larger structural problem. That key estimate, the number of affordable and available homes, is built on two components, affordability and availability. We can talk about how much housing is affordable to a household by just looking at their household income and the number of units on the market that rent at or below a certain threshold. We follow the standard in federal housing policy that says housing costs shouldn't consume more than 30% of income. Above that, the home is considered unaffordable. For the, the 10.8 million extremely low income renter households I just mentioned, there are approximately 7.4 million rental homes that rent at or below a price that they can afford. But affordability, importantly, isn't the only thing that matters. Because in the private market, I, this is something that everyone can, can get on reflection, a person is, is free to occupy a home that is priced well below their budget threshold. So in practice, the lowest income renters can wind up in competition with higher income renters for those most affordable homes. We count a home as affordable and available to an extremely low income renter then, if it meets the affordability standard and it's either vacant or not occupied by a higher income renter. When we look at both affordability and availability, the situation for these renters is worse. While there are 10.8 million extremely low income renters, there are only 4 million homes that are both affordable and available to them. That means there's a shortage of about 7 million homes that are affordable and available for those renters. Now, the practical consequences of this are important. This means that um, in practice, millions of the lowest income renters are forced to endure unaffordable housing costs. Over 9.2 million extremely low income renters are cost burdened and 7.5 million of those are spending more than half of their income on rent. Another 5.2 very low income renters are also cost burdened. 
This problem of housing cost burden is principally a problem for the lowest income runners, and it's connected to a whole host of, of harms and bad outcomes, greater precarity and deprivation, particularly for low-income households, being cost burdened means living on a tight budget, cutting back on other basic necessities and not being able to save for emergencies. And thank you for pointing out those, you know, dire statistics, right? And, and just the, the great needs. Dan, in, in the research, again, these 10.8 million extremely low-income individuals, what does the research show about the demographics of these people that are uh, facing severe shortage of housing? That's a good question, Don. I think the, the first thing to note is the, the racial and ethnic dimension. So people of color are much more likely than white people to be extremely low income renters. 20% of black households, 18% of American Indian or Alaska Native households, 14% of Latino households, 10% of Asian households are extremely low income renters compared to 6% of white households. It would be a long story to describe all the mechanisms of structural racism, of course, People of color are more likely to be extremely low income in part because of discrimination in hiring and promotion, as well as uh, unequal opportunities more generally. One reason they're more likely to be renters, uh, this is important for housing advocates, obviously, uh, is decades of discrimination in housing, both formal and informal. As households of color, particularly black households, were kept out of subsidies that helped Americans become homeowners in the 20th century, they were in effect excluded from opportunities to, to build wealth intergenerationally. There are some other important things to note about the population of extremely low-income renters. Extremely low-income renter households are, are disproportionately likely to be elderly, with a head of household at least 62 years old, or to have a head of household with a disability. About 3 million households are extremely low-income elderly renters, and another 2 million have a householder with a disability. And they obviously face other challenges in finding adequate and accessible housing on top of the already difficult affordability issues. Another half million are single caregivers for children or people with disabilities or their students. And many of the rest are, are in the labor force working low-wage jobs that, that just don't provide enough to cover their basic needs. That's good, Dan. That's good information. And perhaps I know you mentioned earlier kind of the other report out of reach, which kind of looks at, at wages and gap. And maybe another, we can have another discussion with you or a colleague on that. So thank you. Thank you for that. I've got one, one more question for you, Dan. I haven't read all of the reports. I know we talked with you earlier and, and obviously you you go back, NLIHC goes back with producing this report for a good number of years, maybe the last, maybe it's a decade or plus. Are there, are there trends that you see Dan, is that, I mean, you know, we're looking last couple of years, the need just grows over the last, you know, I don't know if it's five years, 10 years. Are there any trends we can see? Is it just, wow, every year it grows, the numbers grow bigger? What, what, what kind of, what are, you, what are you seeing? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I think we do see evidence in other sources for growing affordability problems for renters generally, especially when we're looking at uh, interstate variation or in particularly high cost metros. I'm thinking long-term too, I think we see greater affordability issues than there were decades ago. For extremely low-income renters, the affordability crisis has a slightly different structure. It's less dynamic, more of a, a static structural problem. In both good and bad economic situations, extremely low-income renters face a shortage of affordable and available homes. One reason for that, I think, why we don't see huge variation 
is that the incomes these renter households earn is often too low to support even operating and maintenance costs on the private market. And there's been insufficient federal investment in affordable housing production and assistance for several decades. The, the ACS, I believe we have, has been in, uh, in, in publication since 2005 and the oldest gap data we have is from 2006. And in 2006, there were 40 affordable and available homes for every 100 extremely low income renters. The situation grew more dire, as you put it, for several years after the Great Recession, as competition increased for affordable rentals. I believe at its worst, somewhere in 2013, there were just 35 for every 100 extremely low income renters. We've seen some, some very small improvements since then as the economy improved. Our most recent report, which is, is based on the latest data available, concerns 2019, which was a period of time with a much stronger economy. Uh, and it's striking that even then, there were only 37 affordable and available homes. I think that speaks to the nature of the problem. Uh, it's persistent and requires concerted interventions, investments in, in rental assistance and subsidized production tailored specifically to the lowest income renters. Thanks for that, Dan. And, you know, and just for our listeners up to this point, you know, we've been talking about data from the report that is based on pre-pandemic information. So given that, is there any more recent data that you, you've been able to look at with your team to see the impact of the pandemic on this housing availability? That's right. It is pre-pandemic. And I, I think it will be some time before the dust settles on the pandemic and its associated economic downturn, and we get a full picture of what's happened. However bleak the, the 2019 numbers look, they, they do predate the economic downturn. I, I think there have been some pretty profound data collection problems during the pandemic, uh, because obviously you couldn't conduct a door-to-door -door survey with normal, normal survey methods in the spring of 2020. But there are uh, a few sources that are, are giving warning signs that, that give us concern. Uh, so we know from economists at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Federal Reserve that low-wage workers were more likely to lose employment income during the pandemic and slower to return to work. And CoStar data that tracks rents uh, on a real-time basis suggests that while rents for luxury rentals fell in some expensive metros in 2020, rents at the bottom end were often holding steady or even increasing. And now we're seeing sharp rebounds in rents everywhere. The Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey, which has been conducted throughout the course of the pandemic, now suggests that something like 15% of all renters currently aren't caught up on rent. Uh, and lower income renters are more likely to have fallen behind. So we saw a real confluence of, of problems in 2020 and 2021 that suggests that the lowest income renters may be um, in an even greater struggle today to find affordable, decent homes. Dan, we really want to thank you uh, for your time for a lot of these statistics. Again, I, we'll, we'll have a link to the report again, The Gap, A Shortage of Affordable Homes from March 2021 at our, uh, we'll link it uh, at our Buzz House website. Dan, thank you very much for your time today and sharing all, all the information and, and listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Buzz House. To receive a notification when new episodes are available, please subscribe to Buzz House, a Bakatilly podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For additional resources around multifamily housing, check out bakertilly.com. And if you have a suggested topic, please send them to build at bakertilly.com. That's B-U-I-L-D at bakertilly.com.